0: you would please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to John. I thought this would be a good way to end the year with uh, John 3 and uh, focusing primarily on John 3.16. It's been a while since I have studied this or preached on it. And uh, a great way to end the last day of the air by thinking about God's love for us. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? And just again, a quick note of gratitude to everybody that participated in the Carolyn Candlelight Service, uh, for Sophie and the, all the work that she did with the choirs, and for Sean and um, Scott. And uh, thank you very much, Gary. Uh, it was a, I think it was a very good, uh, evening. And it was a good time. So thank all of those who helped bring that to pass. Let's give ears You as hear the word of God read this morning. John in the third chapter, reading down through verse, um, 17. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. At this point, Nicodemus does not understand the nature of Christ. He knows he's unique, I know that he is blessed, but does not really understand that he is God in the flesh. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimonies talking about himself and the disciples. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one is, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Christ is talking about himself here. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, or his one and only Son, Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, these words of Scripture delivered from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how it is, O Lord, uh, that the gospel came into being. And how it is, O Lord, that the gospel is efficacious for redemption. I pray that you would be with me as I preach this text. Pray that you would be with your people as they hear. That you'd bring it to bear upon us, we pray that you would take away sluggishness of thought. Pray that you'd take away thoughts of the day that would be distracting to us. And pray, O oh God, that your spirit would work in our midst. To bring, O oh God, a new life, to bring Heavenly Father comfort, to bring Heavenly Father encouragement, and to bring conversion where that's necessary, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you know the difference in a biography and in auto biography. A biography is a book written by someone else about you. There was a group called The Beatles that were very popular many years ago. As a matter of fact, they're still pretty popular. Hunter Davis wrote a biography about The Beatles. It was not terribly flattering. The Elvis Presley also, who was famous some years ago, had a book written by him and a well, a biography that was not terribly flattering. But autobiography—the difference there is—you write the book about yourself. And so Johnny Cash has an autobiography that uh, would speak well of him. Benjamin Franklin—many uh, of you know who he is, hopefully—also uh, has an autobiography. We could the list could go on and on and on. But well, why do I bring that up? Well, if some of if you were going to write an autobiography uh, about yourself, obviously, what would you put in that autobiography? What would you say about yourself? Oh, we would tend to say slander things, right? We would tend to put it in a positive light. That, you know, pretty good guy, a pretty good girl, whatever the case may happen to be. Well, in the text this morning, if you would, uh, I think this is something of an autobiography of Christ. And the central focus of this autobiography of Christ, of God in the flesh, is love. You'll see this verse, not written out per se, but people at football, get football games, it'll have John 3.16 held up on a, a card, or a poster board, or whatever the case may happen to be. This verse is profound and profoundly comforting, and should be, to every single believer. But we can't lift the verse out of this context. We must take in the whole of the context, if you will. And one thing that is answered by these verses and by the words of the Lord Jesus Christ is the fact that as Christians, we should never ever doubt God's love for us. We faced challenges. We're seeing the end of 2023. Some of you may be saying good riddance. (laughs) Some of you may be wishing it had a few more months to go, perhaps. You had such a good year. Whatever the case may happen to be. But we have had challenges. You've had challenges. I know you've had disappointments. You've had blessings. You've had great... I was thinking this morning, as I was sitting uh, in my office and I was watching uh, one of my sons walk up the sidewalk... uh, I'm the only pastor my children have ever had. Uh, hopefully that's for their good and benefits. I've tried to be faithful to proclaiming the gospel uh, from the pulpit and to them throughout all the years that God has given uh, them to me. And just what a blessing it is uh, to have my children all profess faith in Christ and all show evidence, not perfection, I'm not saying that at all, but show evidence of grace in their lives. It's a great blessing. Uh, that God has given to me. So there are things that have happened to us in 2023, things that have happened to you in 2023, that you certainly praise God for those things. At least you should. But then also we have had things that have happened to us that weren't particularly things we would have chosen otherwise, perhaps a difficulty uh, in a job, perhaps a difficulty in a marriage, perhaps a difficulty physically with the ill health or whatever the case may happen to be. And so we find ourselves facing things and trying to bring an an agreement with the Scriptures is God's love for us, which is unending, ending in the trial that we face in God's sovereignty. And sometimes we have trouble bringing those two things together. And yet, as we read what Jesus says here in these words to Nicodemus, it should be no doubt in any of our minds that God's love for us is profound, it is eternal, it goes beyond understanding. According to listen, to what is written uh, by the Apostle Paul? Here was a man, as you know, who hated Christ. He hated the gospel. Uh, he hated the church, and he made it his business to bring an end to the gospel, to bring an end to the church by persecuting Christians. And yet, in uh, the book of Ephesians uh, and the third chapter, this prayer of the Apostle Paul prays this in verse fourteen. And listen to this: for I, for this reason. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints was the breadth and length and height and depth and to know know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Here's one who despised the church, despised, and I don't use that word lightly, despised the gospel, hated Christ for the vengeance, was converted, and now speaks of the deep love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here in John in the third chapter. Would have us to see this this morning? Because God gave His Son to die for us, to lift us out of the terrible plight of condemnation, well, you see, it's not simply that we were sinners. It is that we were condemned by God's law And that uh, Charles read this morning. We were condemned to die. We were condemned uh, to hell. And because of God's great love for us, he's worked a work that has rescued us from that condemnation and from that guilt. Because those who are in Christ Jesus, by their faith, God pronounces them not guilty. And so the first thing then, as we think about this magnificent love that God has for us, the first thing that we need to understand is that that love for us is entirely unmerited. Now we know from the Bible that this love of God is not universal. We do not believe, hear what I'm saying, we do not believe the end of the age is going to be a grand homecoming and we're all going to be there, no matter who you are. No matter what your opinion of Christ was, no matter if you hated Jesus or not, it doesn't matter. It's just going to be a big homecoming at the end of the age. It's kind of like a high school reunion, except when you get to those, a lot of people are dead, at least my last uh, 50 years. Um, But, uh, you know, if if you graduated the class, you're there, where you're supposed to be. Uh, You're there. Well, that's not how it's going to be at the end of the age, that everybody's going to be there, to be a big grand homecoming, because the Bible teaches us very clearly that there are people who hate Christ, who hate God, who want nothing to do with God, and those people, as you read in the book of Revelation, they'll be calling for the mountains to fall on them at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to be crying out for the mountains to cover them and to shield them from uh, the Lamb of God uh, as they would fall under his wrath and condemnation. And so it is obvious that when it says here that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, it is not teaching what some would call universalism that everybody's going to be saved no matter what. That simply is not the teaching of Scripture. It's not the teaching of the Bible at all. But how do we look at it then when it says here to us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son or his one and only son or his unique son? How are we to to understand it? And I think we understand it properly in this light. It's talking about the world as the mass of fallen humanity. As God looked at the world, well, it was? well, it was there uh, in rebellion. Uh, it was there in its lostness. It was there uh, in its putrefaction. It was there in its ungodliness, and it was there with unbridled sin. Uh, it was there without Christ and without hope in the world. And as God looked at that uh, world, uh, he had compassion. But it's not to say that his compassion is spread to every individual throughout the world, throughout history, so at the end of the age, Adolf Hitler will be there with the rest of us, with the rest of God's people. Thus, to misunderstand the text. God so loved the world in his fallenness, but yet we take that in connection with Matthew 1.21, which we looked at Christmas Eve. You shall call his name Jesus, you shall bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins so it is not teaching universalism again when Jesus says this to Nicodemus, but rather it is teaching as God looked at the world in its fallenness, uh, he had compassion upon the world. And we can also say this as well. Every individual that lives upon the face of the earth enjoys particular benefits that God gives to them, though they acknowledge it or not, though they, uh, though they praise him or not, uh, though they thank him or not. Uh, there are people that are exceptionally blessed by the standards of this world. I don't know. I have no idea uh, for Todd. The guy that owns all that stuff in Galveston, I n- I've never met the man. Uh, he wrote a book called Shut Up and Listen. It offended me. Then my son said, have you read the book? I said, no. He said, well, it's talking about listen to your customers. I said, well, I made a mistake, I guess. Perhaps I should read the book. But he had a boat back there. Yeah, you know, I love boats. I got a little, little inflatable boat. Saved a long time to get that little inflatable boat. It, it's, uh, it, they want me to park it next to his boat. His boat's like 80 feet long. It's beautiful. He is blessed with the mature things of the world. He may be a believer. I don't. Let's suppose he's not. Uh, but if you know him, not tell him, I said he's not a believer. If he is, don't tell him that. But let's just suppose he's not a Christian. Well, he's blessed, is he not? I mean, he's got this boat. I heard that was a small boat too, by the way. He's got another somewhere that's bigger than that, 150 feet long. That's like a battleship. Well, here's this man that has all these things. So you see, it is not simply the believer that enjoys benefits. Non-believers do as well. And that is an outworking of God's kindness, universal kindness, if you will, to the world, for God so loved the world. But when it comes to salvation, it is particular. And so that when we speak of Christ dying for his people, it is those whom God has chosen out of the mass of fallen humanity, they are called the elect of God. That's what the Bible teaches. Very clear in Scripture. That's what the Bible teaches. And we can read that. If you'd like to hear from the Scriptures and the book of Ephesians and chapter 1, we read this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, you see, is qualified. Whosoever has faith in Him, whosoever believes and embraces Him as their Lord and Savior, that is the one, you see, that will enjoy the benefits of redemption. And as Christians, as we live in this world, and we know that this immense love God has for us we also know that he is involved in our lives as they unfold day by day moment by moment there's Christ there's God directing and guiding us not as our arch enemy, but as a loving heavenly father as you read in Romans 8 28 all things work together for good for those who love God for those who are the called according to his purpose do you believe that all things work together for good for those who love God for those who are the called according to his purpose And we may not see the good. We may not comprehend the good. As a matter of fact, as we look at something and we examine something and we try to reason through and somehow come to some type of conclusion that is satisfying to us, that it is that God's love is manifested to me for my good in this particular situation, but I can't see it, and I'm brokenhearted about it, and I can't see it at all. And yet it is that we walk not by sight, but by faith, again, Habakkuk 2.4, As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the justified by faith shall live by faith. Moment by moment, as we walk through this earth, trusting that God is with us and trusting that God loves us because he has manifest that love to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you With an everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you to myself in loving kindness. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. So God's great love for us is a love that is entirely unmerited. The very opposite of what we deserve. Don't let that slip by you. Because when you do let that slip away from you, you begin to think this, God owes me. He owes me. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. You do not know any of us. He's talking about what we merit, what we've earned. It's his condemnation. It's not what he gives us. He gives us his grace and his kindness and his mercy in Christ. The second thing is that the love of God is... Unbounded. We also looked at that and read a moment ago from Ephesians in the third chapter, the breadth and width and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ surpasses all the knowledge. Well, here, uh, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John in chapter 3, uh, he says uh, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the love of God uh, is broad and deep and Indeed, God so loved the world. And... Uh, Uh, again, the background of being something that is totally uh, unmerited, it is something that is so broad we can't comprehend uh, the love of God. Uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. He is to be like uh, R.C. Sproul. Most people know who R.C. Sproul was, right? Kind of be like an R.C. Sproul, the teacher of the church. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He knows there's something special about Christ. Why does he know that? One thing he teaches as one who has authority, not as the Pharisees and scribes, as one who has authority. Another thing he does—he turns water into wine. He does miracles. He causes the blind to see, he causes the deaf to hear, he causes the lame to walk. All these things, and Nicodemus is aware of these things, and he comes to Jesus and he says, "I know. I know that you're from God. You're not a heretic." You're not a blasphemer. That's obvious. Because nobody who is a blasphemer or a heretic can do the things that you do. They're marvelous. They're simply absolutely marvelous. And Jesus says, if you want to come to the kingdom, you must be born again. Well, where did that come from? Nicodemus is a man of the law, you see. A man of the law earns his rights with God by keeping that law. He was a Pharisee, that's how they thought. That was a part of their theology. And so Christ kind of goes right to the source of it. In order to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. It's not by the works that you do, Nicodemus. It's not by keeping the law that, that you uh, have, uh, are a part of the kingdom of God. It's by God's working, you see, Nicodemus. You must be born again. How could that? That's impossible. I, I came here, Jesus, to talk to you about serious matters. You're, you're telling fairy tales. You must be born again. That's impossible. Can a man enter his mother's womb and be born a second time? He knew the absurdity of that. The answer to that is obviously no. The word Christ does, you see, is taking from the physical to the spiritual. He said, Nicodemus, you see the wind. You see its effect. You see what it does. You know where it's been. You don't know where it's going. That's how it is with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God works and breathes life into a dead heart. That's called the doctrine of regeneration. Where someone is taken who is dead before God, dead to Christ, dead to the things of the Lord, And by his grace, their spirit of God breathes life into them. And now they go from one who's being dead to one who is alive. Justification by faith, regeneration, the new birth as it's called. Literally this means born from above. It is the working of the spirit of God in the lives of people. So he gets Nicodemus on the right track. Nicodemus thinking, well, what about the kingdom of God? If anybody should be in the kingdom of God, Jesus, I ought to be. Like you said, I am the teacher of Israel. I know a lot of theology. I do things that I'm supposed to do. I don't do things I'm not supposed to do. I'm right on target with these things. And then Jesus says, you're way off target. You're way, way off. Because you must be born of the Spirit. If you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God. You see, it's his grace. It's his grace. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, it is that you are a recipient of the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again, he said to Nicodemus. And what drives all of that? What is, it that is behind this, uh, this great manifestation of, of God and this working in this world of the mass of fallen humanity to take it from one that is condemned uh, to one that is filled with affection for Christ a commitment to obedience a commitment to God's glory what is it that is behind all of that Jesus says it in one word (laughs) love for God so loved, that he gave his only son. That is what is behind you being here this morning in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, it is God's love. The greatest gift, and I talked about this Christmas Eve, the greatest gift that we can receive anywhere, anytime, from anyone is the gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater gift than that. You don't get to say at the end of your life, I chose not to follow after Jesus, I chose to reject the gospel, therefore God leave me alone. Well, it doesn't work that way. Because our God is a God who has authority and who is the judge of all the earth. You have to deal with him. Because he's going to deal with you. You No choice in the matter. It's not simply, I'm going to go, George C. Scott. Everybody knows who George C. Scott was. He did a great version of A Christmas Carol in 1984. I thought he did a magnificent job, played Ebenezer Scrooge. He played Patton in 1970, won an Academy Award for it. Turned it down, but won an Academy Award for it. Uh, He was an atheist. And I heard him say, and was being interviewed one time, but some of you likely for this before, by um, Larry King. Larry King had a talk show, Larry King Live. And uh, George Scott almost died, had some kind of heart issue, almost died from it. And uh, Larry King said, what do you think happens when you die? George Scott said, nothing. And he said to him, were you afraid? He said, no, just non-existent, nothing to be afraid of. Non existence. Well, that's not the way it works. Zorcia Scott, I think he was a tremendous actor. I thought he was great in Patton. I thought he was very, very good in uh, A Christmas Carol playing Ebenezer Scrooge. He was a terrible theologian, and he was terribly misguided. Because we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand before the bar of God. And we'll either stand there as his children, or we will stand there as those who are condemned because of a lack of faith and refusal to accept the gospel. So the greatest gift, again, that we have is that one that God gave to us in, his only begotten Son, that he may do for us what we could not do for ourselves. So, what did he do? What did Jesus do? Well, he kept the law for you. As Charles read the law a moment ago, and he said this we can't keep any of them. Not one law can you keep. You may keep it for a while, but once you realize it's a matter of the heart, not simply a matter of outward doing, then you realize you're guilty. And what does it take to be condemned by the law? It takes violating one law. One law. That's all. So Christ kept the law for us. He didn't break any laws. He never sinned. And then Jesus took upon himself our condemnation and our guilt upon himself on the cross of Calvary. So he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's as he experienced the brunt of of the wrath of God being placed upon him instead of his people, as we read in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. And then as we come to him in faith, his righteousness is declared to us, imputed to us, if you will. And that's what Christ has done for us. We read in the book of Romans, he was raised for our justification. Justification. So because the wrath of God was placed upon His Son, we who are in Christ through faith escape that wrath. God's justice was satisfied in His Son. No more to be paid for those He represented on the cross of Calvary. No more whatsoever. And so you see how horrendous it is for us to ever doubt God's love for us. John Calvin said this, Our mind cannot find calm repose without arriving at the fact of God's unmerited love for us in Christ. You want to have peace this next year? Rest in Jesus. Rest in His accomplished work for His people on the cross of Calvary. Rest in this. I know that though I sin, God loves me. And I know though I am stricken with some type of illness, God loves me. And I know that though I suffer some horrible, heartbreaking event, God loves me. And it's a love that was born in eternity past and a love that goes to eternity future, if you will. It never ends. It will never cease. John Calvin is exactly right. Our peace and calm come in this, not in our successes in keeping the law, not in our failures in breaking the law, but of our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. That's where our comfort is. Alistair Begg, uh, he's the Baptist, I think he's a Reformed Baptist preacher. I know he's in in Cleveland, Ohio. Strange accent for somebody from Ohio. That's because he's not from Ohio, he's from Scotland. And I bet if you listen to him when he first started preaching, listen to him today, you'll find he's lost a lot of his accent, I bet you. But he's not sound nearly as Scottish, as he did at one time when he first came to America. He made this statement. The law was given to us. Not so we can try to keep it, to merit salvation, but to drive us to Christ. That's why the law was given to us. That it may expose to us our failings, our offenses before a living, holy, and righteous God. And drive us to Christ. And so Jesus said in these wonderful words, too, spoken to this Pharisee. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, that the world through him and only through him might have salvation. As we enter into 2024 tomorrow, keep this before you. Keep God's love in mind for you. As you face joys, as you face triumphs, as you face trials. In the next 12 months coming your way, celebrate God's love for you and Jesus Christ. Do you love him? Are you trusting him for your salvation? Because it qualifies it, does it not? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray.